born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. Turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and chapter 4. But I want you to see a verse that says we're on, I don't know if it was Christmas Day or not, but it makes the statement there in verse 8 of chapter 4. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and they had a Christmas tree, and all these gifts were under the tree, and he gave gifts unto men. Isn't that wonderful? Now what this means is, the understanding of this verse in the Greek it means that the men are supposed to get gifts. <laughs> Doesn't say anything about the women, just the men are supposed to get gifts. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But uh, anyway, the Bible does tell us that God gave gifts unto men. But I believe these were probably a little bit different than what we're thinking of. We like the kind that comes in a package, you open it up, and there it is. Uh, the gifts that God gave uh, has to do with your ability of ministry. So God has given to every one of us a ministry, and with the ministry of whatever he wants us to do, he has given us the grace, the measure of grace is what he calls it, the measure of grace that you need to accomplish that job. Uh, wouldn't it be a shame for God to give you a job and then you had no ability, no talent, no power? You couldn't do it. Would he ask us to do the impossible without enabling us to do it? And that's exactly what God does is he enables us. And that's what grace is. Giving you not only the desire and the power to do the will of God. Now, sometimes we have conflict. You see, you had desires from your old birth and they're strong. But God also gave you some with a new one and... They're so small and weak that sometimes you can't detect it. That's why you have to become spiritually minded so that you can figure out what is it that God wants me to do? What did he give to me as a special gift? Well, wouldn't it be a shame for somebody to spend a lot of money on a particular present and gave it to you and then you would never opened it? That won't happen with this boy. I mean, uh, I couldn't wait for my mom <laughs> To go to bed. I stand at the door and I'd wait, and as soon as I knew she'd turn off that light, man, Santa Claus came! <laughs> All six kids jump up and we'd run in there and see what we got. We knew where they came from. But there was a time in my life where I didn't know where 
all those things came from. It, see, I was just a, a little little brat there in Georgia. Now, I was born in Pennsylvania. That's how I got my nickname, Yankee. Later, my dad moved down to Georgia, and because of the, the work he was in, uh, it wasn't near a lot of folks. <laughs> we live way back in the woods. And uh, so he had his own liquor still, and that's the truth. My mama, she, uh, she hauled it, and my sister drank it, and I preached against it. But anyway, she um, would get all the things ready, whatever they was going to do, and you know, put them under a tree. But there was, there were some times when we, we didn't get anything. And that broke my heart. And they'd always tell me about old Santa Claus. You know, you better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry and all that stuff. He knows when you're sleeping and he's watching you and all this stuff. <laughs> I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. And uh, Santa Claus was real to me. God, I wasn't sure about God, but Santa Claus was real. But I couldn't ever figure out how come the rich kids got more than the poor kids. I mean, didn't God know that I'm just as good as they are? I, had, I didn't know it had anything to do with how much money the parents had, but it does. It has a lot to do with it. And uh, finally, my sister Lizzie and my other sister, Ned, they were, you know, a year older than I was. So we went to my dad, and we sat down with him in the living room, and, and we complained to him about this. I mean, because there's inequity. You know, you don't, little kids can see when something's not right. So we told my dad we, we wanted more toys for Christmas. And my dad swore that he was going to have us the best Christmas we ever had. I mean, he says, nobody's going to have more than y'all going to have. He says, when Santa Claus comes over, he said, I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> and when I shoot him, he said, I'm going to get all the presents and we're going to bring them home. I had no love for Santa. It didn't matter to me. I didn't care if that was going to be the last Christmas on earth. You know, here's big old fat Santa. He's going to be a dead man. I, I didn't care. I didn't care about all those other little kids up and down the road who wouldn't get anything for the rest of eternity. I didn't care. All I know is that we're going to get a whole bunch of toys. So on Christmas morning, we couldn't wait. And uh, <laughs> it didn't take long for all the excitement to turn into total despair. There was nothing under the tree. We were sick. All three of us sat down and we cried. I was probably five years old. Just listening to them, they were six, seven and eight. You know. And we bawled. And where was my dad? Nowhere to be found. Finally, he came home that night, drunk as could be. Oh, he was drunk. He'd been celebrating. And we told him and we cried. And he says, now let me tell you, kids, I'm going to tell you the truth. He says, I was down here on this hill right down here. He says, and Santa Claus, I saw, I saw him coming over. He said, and I shot at him the best I could, and I just, I missed him. I missed him. We bought that story. We believe it. At least my dad tried. <laughs> so I couldn't be upset with my dad because he tried. He just happened to be a bad shot. Well, it wasn't long before I found out that it was all a lie. Uh, I'm so glad that I know, <laughs> now I know the truth. I hope I haven't ruined somebody's Christmas in here. Uh, Al over here is going to be weeping the rest of the service. And because uh, he, <laughs> really he's dead. Well, he's dead. But anyway, this is real and this is true. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, God gave you something special. Not only just 
no, a reason to live. There's a ministry that he wants you to fulfill. There's a purpose in life. And so he's given us this. So he says here in verse 7, he gave prophets, apostles, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. And the reason is to teach you the Word of God, to teach you what God said. So in the Word of God, you will find the gift of God. You'll find not only that, you know, the gift of eternal life. You've trusted Christ as Savior, but now as you study the Word of God, you find there's something God wants you to do. And this is where that burning desire sometimes comes from. Not only do you want to do something, but you want to do something in specific. You know, you want something definite. What, what, what can I do? And this is one of the things that I've tried to do since I've been here. Just, just try to encourage people to find out what is it that you believe God wants you to do. Do what you can with what you have where you are. And God will open up other doors of, of opportunity. And God is going to bless you. Now look what he says here in verse 12. The reason that God gives to you and me these gifts. And that is because it is for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. See, there is a ministry, but God gave gifts unto men and to teach you and I things that we should know and we should do. See what he said up in verse 7? But unto every one of us, every one, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, according to the job. In other words, God will give you what you need to do the job. And that's why in chapter 4 and verse 1, he said, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. To walk worthy of the calling of that, whatever that gift or that ministry might be. What is the work that God has for you to do? So as you read and you study and you begin to apply yourself. And then you get involved and you do something here and you do something there. Uh, let me just kind of give you an example. When I started doing the firehouse fire thing, you know, if, when I first started, it was just me and my guitar. And, and then somebody else wanted to help. And then somebody else. Uh, now you take, let's say, here's Dan. Uh, Dan, he knows the, the guitar pretty good. And he can pick it up pretty good. But God has used him to help me and also uh, Jim Bleffin back there to understand a little bit more. And so we've got us a little firehouse fire. And then along comes Herman and uh, down here. Uh, we, we have, you know, doing what we can with what we have. But now I, I don't even get to see Dan much anymore because now they're, they're taking advantage of this guy. They're using him in Awana. And now he has to do that. Now he has to help out in the ranch sometimes, right? So that they want him in there. And so now he's after my job. <laughs> but see, he just started just a little bit, and then, and then they realized, that, well, he, he, he's, he's good. They, then they, somebody else wants him. And so he's going to help others, and we got a bunch of new ones coming along here, and they're, they're teaching him. Jim Blevins got about six or seven of them together and started teaching them. And now on Sunday night, sometime we'll get in here a little bit early, and we all kind of work together on it. But you never know. Some of these guys might wind up being some youth directors down the road. But how do they get there? You start doing what you can with where you are. There is a little desire. Oh, man, I love to play the guitar. Okay, feed that desire. Learn to teach the Word of God. Get involved in Awana. Help out. You know, do whatever you can do where you can. And you'd be surprised how that 
you start fulfilling some of those obligations that you have between you and God, and God will open up, and you don't have any clue where it's going to end up. That's the exciting part. What you don't want is for God to take you and put you on a shelf, and you never get used. You want to be involved. Now, I like going to football games, but even at 68 years old, you know what I'd love to do? I wish I could go back in time. I'd love to be the quarterback. I, I, I quarterbacked our team in, for college in Colorado. And uh, I played on our baseball team. I mean, I, mean, I, I love it. The softball team. We played flag football. I, I love it. But I got to where, you know, they always made the preacher the target. I don't care what you do. They would run 50 yards out of their way. I don't even have to have the ball. They just want to plow into me. And just, you know, just to get, I had to wind up quitting just for my health. I can play a game of golf, and it doesn't matter if there's three guys there. They don't care about winning and beating the other guy. They just want to beat the preacher, as long as they can beat the preacher. It don't matter. Nothing else matters. Well, when it comes to serving the Lord, find out what it is that God wants you to do. But don't let the devil stop you. You'd be surprised what you might be able to do. And this is why it's so important. Look there in verse 12 again. For the equipping or the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying means to beautify what's there and add to it. In other words, whatever it is that you do for the Lord, you want God to use you to be a blessing to other people. You want to encourage people. You want to provoke people to good works. Exhorting people. Encouraging now, there's enough Christians that go around and all they do is badmouth everything and everybody. Don't you be one of those. Don't you grow up to be a mean old individual, mean old woman or a mean old man, and always pouring cold water on everybody's you know, little parade. Be good for people. Be glad for people. And, uh, and, and pray for people. And look what he says in verse 13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. Till we all believe the same way. That's why anytime I hear somebody doesn't believe exactly the same thing, I want to explain it to them until I win them. Or they should try and get me until I believe them. But what's the thing that's going to make the difference? Well, what does God say? It's not whether what the preacher says. What's God, what does God say? We're supposed to stay with the book and see what it says. And get this. Can we all come into the unity of the face and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, or a mature man, a complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Now, as an individual, you should want the Lord to work on you, in you, through you, until you are a mature Christian, able to handle spiritual responsibilities. Are you faithful? Are you dependable? Can people count on you? When you give your word, will you keep your word? That is so important. Faithfulness is so important. Do what you say you will do. And then he makes a statement in verse 14. That we, and here's this word, henceforth, that we be no more children tossed to and fro. So when you're tossed to and fro, the word of God says you're, you're a child. When you can't eat meat, then God says you have to drink milk. And if you drink milk, uh, then you're a child. You're not able to teach the Word of God as you should. So He doesn't want us to remain children, but to grow up. 
Now remember, we're talking now about the walk of the believer. First three chapters talks about the wealth of the believer, what you have in Christ, who you are in Christ, the union you have with other believers in Christ. Now he's talking about the unity that we ought to have in our walk with Christ. So in chapter 4 and verse 1, where it talks about walk worthy, in other words, walk according to your wealth. In other words, if you're a child of the king, then act like a child of the king. Talk like a child of the king. Use the language of the court. In other words, uh, a lot of times you can tell where people are from by their accent. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I says, where are you from? You're not from America. He says, no, no, no. I am from England, and they had a British accent. And uh, that was David Bauer's wife's granddad, I guess. It, I hope I got this right. And I could listen to his accent. And not only that, you take David Bowers, his, his wife, she has a beautiful accent. When she talks, she talks funny. <laughs> People used to listen to me talk when I went to Colorado, and they said, you talk funny. I said, you talk funny. <laughs> and people sometimes can tell where you're from just because of the way you talk. You and I, because we're God's children, we ought to talk different. Because we are different. You see there in verse 17, where it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, from now on, walk not as other Gentiles walk. So if God doesn't want you and I to walk as other Gentiles walk, then He must want you to walk differently than the way other people walk. It means you live differently. You think differently. You talk differently. That's why the Bible talks about being separate. You should live for the Lord. And if there is a lost man, and he has his set of values, and there's a Christian, and he has his set of values, which one should produce the best life? The lost man? Or the Christian. Don't you believe that God has a higher standard than the world? I don't believe that the world should live with better integrity and honesty and all that than a believer. A Christian is supposed to be above. Christ doesn't teach us things that makes us worse in this world, but I think better in this world. That's why he says, ye are the light of the world, and ye are the salt of the earth. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. But some of God's children are not light, and they're not salt. In other words, what good is salt that's lost its savor? It's no good. And that's why God says, ye are the salt of the earth. It means you're the preservative. Now look what he says here. He makes a statement there in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So here you are, you're a child of God, and God wants you to grow up and to be a man of God. And that means not only that you say the truth, but you say the truth 
in love. So you can do the things that are right, but not with the right attitude. You can, you know how to do it. You know what I'm saying. You can tell your wife, I love you. Or you could say it in a way that she might believe you. She look at you, hello, big boy. And you I love you. But anyway, as we're moving right along, look in verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together like cells in our body, together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, this is what love, love is the nuclear glue that holds everything together. Love is what causes a husband and wife to be able to get along because they love one another. When you don't love each other, nothing will work. Rules and regulations won't work. Because if you don't love each other, you'll despise the rules and their regulations. You despise everything you're supposed to do because you don't love anymore. Because you don't care. You don't want the best for the other person. You just think about, what do I want? What do I want? It's my life. And love makes you think about the other person and what's best for the other person. But when you don't, it won't work that way. So he says, from whom the whole body, the whole body, that means every believer is supposed to be so fitly joined together in love that we move, act, think in unity as one person to fulfill the will of God. And we're like one person in, in love. And if that's one thing that can be said, about, uh, remember this, it said about the disciples, how they loved one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Look what else he says here in verse 17 now. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Now he's writing to the Christians at Ephesus. These are Gentile believers. So he says, don't walk as a lost man. You're different. You're a saved man. You're part of the family of God. So he says, Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now remember I said the last three chapters is talking about your walk. It means how you live. It's your walk and your talk. Speaking the truth in love. So it has to do with how you speak also. So when he says here, not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. It means that they're, they're, they're empty-headed, that there's nothing up there. The elevator don't go clean to the top, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you have people that are not mature. They don't grow up. They're not maturing in the Lord like they ought to. So he says in verse 18, now he gives us three things here in this one verse that are descriptive of what he's talking about when he says, walking in the vanity of their mind. In verse 18, having the understanding darkened, been alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now, that's the way you were when you were lost. That's the way lost men live. They do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. 
And God says they're blind. They can't see. They don't know where they're going when they die. They don't know where they came from. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. They don't really know. But you see, you and I, we have the light. We can see. If you take a blind man and put him in a room, and you take a, uh, a man who can see and put him in a room, and there's all kind of obstacles all over the place, well, the man who has eyesight ought to be able to see where they are. And he shouldn't stumble over them. Now, the man that can't see, well, he has a good excuse. He can't see. That's why you don't mock a blind man. Okay, Tom, you can wake up now. Okay, I didn't know if you, I, your eyes looked like they were closed to me. <laughs> but look what he says. Because of the blindness of their heart. Now, we're not talking about the blindness of their eyes. The blindness of their heart. He said, don't live like that. Don't walk like that. So God does want his children to be different. So that's why you study the Bible to learn the biblical principles in your life. See, there's a lot of things that God doesn't address. But in principle, it will. Not to make provision for the lust of the flesh. Well, that means that uh, whatever it might be, those provisions. The devil says that he will use anything possible, by all means, to enslave, to blind, whatever he can do. Paul says that I will, by all means, serve the Lord. So the devil's going to use every means possible to get you. And Paul's talking about using every means that we can to fulfill the will of God. But whatever those means are, it has to still be right. The devil's is always wrong. Spiritual discernment is understanding the difference between the two so that you can be wise. Look what he says in verse 19. Who, talking about you and I, being in past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. That means all manner of evil and wickedness. And you'll notice that many times uh, when you see a word and you say, well, what in the world does that word mean? The Bible, especially the King James, will teach you what it means. And in the last part of the verse, it says, to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's the definition of the word. In verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, you didn't learn that from the Lord. Being mean and ugly, walking in the flesh, hateful, and you know all the wicked things you can think about, you didn't learn that from God. That came from your old sinful nature. God gave you a new birth with a new nature, and he says, I want you to walk according to the new nature. You're a new man. So he says in verse 21, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now see, you're saved. You have eternal life. You're going to heaven when you die. But not all of God's children has been taught by him. That's why you come to Sunday school, church, whenever you possibly can, or read your Bible, and so that you can learn of Christ. So as you learn, walk according to the truth that you know. Don't worry about walking according to the truth you don't know. You just be obedient to all that you do know, and you'll gain more knowledge. But why would God give you additional truth when you disobey the truth that you already have? So that's why sometimes you'll have Christians who go to church for 20 years, never mature in the Lord, never grow. Because they pick and choose what parts of the Bible they want to obey. 
And God says, well, this truth is hinged upon this truth. And since you rebelled against this truth, you can't have this one. It's kind of like building a, a house and you uh, got certain things that you got to put in and you want to have a lentil and so forth. Well, you, if you reject that one, then you, you can't have the window because you have to have that over it or you can't build on top of it. So when you reject the truth, it's going to keep you from being able to be a finished building. And so you're going to always be in, mainly in repair. Would take my place. Telling someone how to go to heaven is the greatest thing we can do in this life. To prepare you, Pastor Yankee Arnold is offering you his book, Gospel Driven Man, absolutely free. Gospel Driven Man explains in simple steps how to successfully share the gospel. To get your free copy of Gospel Driven Man, write to Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Or email Yankee Arnold at Yankee at YankeeArnold.com. That's Yankee at YankeeArnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at YankeeArnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.